Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. So look, my name's Derek. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here at Gateway. I haven't had the chance to meet you. And uh, it's a real pleasure this morning to be able to come and just share the Word. Today is Palm Sunday, as we heard from uh, net, 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 net Grandpa before. Um, it is Palm Sunday. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at, though, the story before Easter. Because in some ways, of course, Palm Sunday is the Sunday before or the, the days leading into the great Easter story. And this morning, I'd love to speak about the prequel that happened before Easter. Now, I never really knew what a prequel was uh, until as a young man in the 1970s, yes, Star Wars came out. Who remembers in the 70s when Star Wars came out? Star Wars, the first movie, then there's Empire Strikes Back, and then there's Return of the Jedi, one, two, and three. And we thought, of course, there was lightsabers that you could whack your sister with. There were pyjamas you could wear. There were cups you could buy. There were action figures you could get hold of. Fantastic. And we thought that was it. One of the greatest stories ever told. George Lucas made a fortune. And then some years later, we find out, no, 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 that's not the real, or no, 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 that's not the real story. There's actually a prequel. This was actually four, five and six. And then we go to one, two and three. So The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and... No, there it is, that one, episode one. That was the first one. Then episode two. Then episode... No. That's it. That's it. Very confusing. There was a story before the story. And then, of course, then we go back to the original three, and then there was the sequel after that as well. Very confusing. An amazing way to make a lot of money. Nine movies get made and that's Star Wars, of course, more coming out, already came out. So the idea of the prequel is this, that God also had a prequel to the Easter story. And I love us to be able to sort of look into this in some more detail this morning. One of the challenges of the love of God is this, is that when God says to humanity that He loves us, our challenge as people is what does that mean? What does it mean when God says, I love you? Because we don't really understand the mind of God. We can't understand the mind of God. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is a being. The Bible says that His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So when God says, I love you, the depth of what He is feeling to us is difficult for us to understand. It's like as parents to our children when they're young and we say to them, I love you. They don't fully understand what we're prepared to do for them, to sacrifice for them, the lengths we're prepared to go to for them in order for that love to be outworked. But our love is real. We feel it. It's strong. It burns within us for our kids. But our kids say, yeah, yeah, okay, you love us, but they don't really get what it means for them to be loved. And it's the same with us and God. And so God, I believe, needed to show us. He says, I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. I'm going to show you what my love looks like. Watch what I do. And in watching what I do, start to understand who I am. 
And so that's the story that God has invited us into. It's for this reason that the Hebrew writers in Scripture never really talked about the love of God. They talked about the chesed of God, H-E-S-E-D, the chesed of God. The chesed of God is used 248 times in Scripture, often written by David, but many of the other writers as well. And it essentially means this, the loving covenant faithfulness. See, they grappled with the idea of love. They said, how do I actually talk about the love of God? Well, love is so hard to grab. Let's talk about chesed. Chesed is loving covenant faithfulness. It's kind of like this rusted on abiding connection that never lets go. And God's trying to show us what His chesed looks like. And so right through the whole human story, God has designed elements of that story so He can show Himself to us. When God first created the earth, He demonstrated His faithfulness, His chesed to us. Time is the first thing that God created. If you look into the the book of Genesis, amongst a bunch of other things that took place, time was one of the first things that God did. When God flung the cosmos into the air, He created the sun first. And of course, then He creates the earth and the moon. And we know that from the sun, the earth and the moon, we get our whole idea of time. The sun, the earth revolves around the sun. It takes one year for the earth to go right around the sun. The moon, the different stages of the moon give us one entire month, 30 days within that. And of course, we have 12 months of the year. And then we have the earth that rotates on its own axis and that gives us day and night, one day, 24 hours. So within 24 hours, within a collection of 24 hours, we get one month. Within a collection of months, we get one year. And then we have time. And there's something about time that is the faithfulness of God. Why is time about faithfulness? Because we can depend on it. We can look up in the sky. We can see it happening. And there's something inside us says it's going to be okay. Whether you're a born-again Christian here today or not, time is a comfort to you. You know tomorrow morning the sun's going to come up again. It's going to come up. And the entire earth revolves around this time. Everything, all of the flora on the earth, the fauna on the earth, everything that takes place that needs to breathe and respirate takes place because of the time that takes place. The sun comes out, there's darkness, there's light. And as a result of time, the earth turns, the the earth grows, things grow, things die, things grow, things die, and time is taking place. It's faithfulness. It's a faithful system. It's a faithfulness of God. But God never planned to just let creation alone speak for Him. Though if we were to study creation at all of its depths, we would see down at the subatomic level, faithfulness. Things spinning on things that are spinning on things. Round and round and round. Science can watch it happen, but they can't explain it. It's just happening. And then right at the cosmic level, we see things spinning on things, things spinning around things, faithfully moving not one inch through all of the eons of time that it's done. It keeps moving and revolving, not moving, not varying, faithful, committed. I love it. But that wasn't the only story that God gave us. Let's go to Ephesians, if you've got your Bible, chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's jump into this. 
Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says this, you'll know it well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Get this next bit. Just as He, God the Father, chose us in Him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. God had a plan. God had a plan before any of that cosmos and time came into being. God had a plan. God had a plan for your life. God had already decided that you were going to be found in Him. That He was going to do something that was remarkable. Because God Himself was going to recreate Himself. God Himself was going to, instead of the Logos being in part of the three, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in the, in, the, in the heavens before time began. The Logos made that decision. The Father said, before the foundation of the world, I'm sending my Son. So before I say, there, let there be light, you're gonna come. The Logos is gonna walk on the earth. He's gonna become like my creation. I'm gonna do it. And it's at that point, as God in His heart of hearts says, that's what I'm going to do. Before He even begins creation, once He's determined that He's gonna do that, then creation plays itself out. And God, through, this, through the eons of time, through creation, has put certain blood covenants in place to demonstrate for us how this love is powerfully all about His love for you and me. The first blood covenant that God had with us was God's covenant with Adam. After Adam had sinned, you remember the story, you know, Adam and Eve took from the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate it and they fell in sin. And after Adam sinned, they tried to cover their own nakedness with fig leaves that they'd sewn together themselves. But man's sinfulness can't be covered by human works. As much as we try, as much as we want to think that we can somehow hide our sin from a holy God, we can't do that. So God did something. It says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and covered them. This is the first picture that we see of a merciful God who is covering the naked sinner with a garment of righteousness that He's given to them. So they've sinned, they've fallen from... From, from their place with God and God comes and kills an animal and places the skin over them and that bloodied skin that goes on top of them to keep them warm, to keep them protected now is covered in the blood of an animal that that animal, innocent as it was, now becomes the first sacrifice. God is setting the stage for something much more. And we go a little bit further down in time and we see God makes a covenant with Abraham. God asks Abraham to take his son Isaac up a mountain and says, I want you to sacrifice your son to me when you get there. And so they're going up the mountain and Isaac says to his father, Dad, where is the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, it's okay, God will provide. And they get to the top. And as they get to the top, he binds his son hand and feet, could you imagine it? Places him on the altar that he's built 
gets ready with the knife before heaven to plunge it into his son to kill him. And just as he's about to do that, God stops him and says, don't, Abraham, stop. And there was a ram that was caught in the thicket to one side and God said, get the ram. Make that the sacrifice that I would like from you. And again, a merciful God who provides the sacrifice covering the naked sinner with a garment of righteousness that he has gifted to him, that he has gifted to him. The ram was just there. I, I find it amazing that at the moment that it was time for the sacrifice, God ensured that the sacrifice was there. God provided what man needed for the sacrifice. The sacrifice of the innocent substitute. God is still setting the stage. He's putting a theme into the, into the earth. And then God says to Abraham about how his family is gonna become a nation through which he's gonna bless the whole world with salvation. Have a look at Genesis 22 and verse 17. It says, with blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And here's the bit. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God has promised that He's gonna raise up a nation out of that sacrifice now, that blood covenant that He's made with Abraham. He's now gonna raise up a nation out of which all other peoples will be blessed. And then we see God's third blood covenant, this time with the nation of Israel. We've just finished a great series on salvation where we've looked at this through the Passover, but just visit it with me one more time. It's Exodus 12 and verse one. It says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbour next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's seed uh, need, Sorry, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, four days later. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and they'll put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh of it that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Don't eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in the fire its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you'll, you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, you, so this day shall be a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. 
This is not just a significant moment for Israel. This is a significant moment for human history. God is bringing this story together into a nation, into a single nation. This idea of blood covenant, the substitute of the innocent to cover the sin of the guilty. God is bringing it together, not just into a nice story, but into a nation's practices. There is civic law that He's putting in place that will actually house the ways of God. It's, it's stunningly detailed, stunningly detailed, because our God is the God of stunning detail. I just love it. He established the civic calendar and also showed how His love is actually found in the substitute of the innocent. There are two things that he's doing here. Let's just take a closer look for a minute, what we just read. Firstly, God establishes what day will be the first day of the year for Israel. This is really important. I can't imagine it, but up to this point, there's no, been no calendar that they've been following other than whatever the Egyptians had or what other people had. Remember, they're only a new nation. They're a brand new nation. They're in Egypt still. They haven't come out. And God is putting in place something that's incredibly important. And that is, where will you start your year? I, the Lord your God, will start your year for you. And this is when it's going to start. He says, it'll be on the first day of the year when the sliver of the new moon can be seen. Just the sliver. After the ripening of the barley, two signs. The barley must be ripe and the sliver of the new moon. When that's the case... That's day one. Mark that day. So signs are in the heavens, in the cosmos, in the faithfulness of time. Watch the faithfulness of time because that's when I'm going to allow you to start your calendar. That'll be what they call the first day of Nisan. Now we work on a Gregorian calendar today. Pope Gregory in the 16th century brought that in. But this is God's calendar. This is God's calendar. This is the only time God stepped onto the earth and said, this is how you're going to order time. I created time. Now I'm going to tell you how to think about time. I think it's worth listening. Then on the 10th day from the start of the year, a spotless lamb must be selected by the high priest, one without blemish for the Passover. The lamb is to be kept and observed for four days. In other words, you've got to watch this lamb. Does it have blemish? Is it spotless? Is it the right lamb? We're going to check it for four days. Separate it from the rest of the herd. On the evening of the Passover, the evening of the 14th, it's to be killed without breaking a bone in its body and eaten completely. Nothing is to remain until the morning. All the remains are to be burnt up completely in the fire. Then the blood is to be smeared on the posts and the lintels of the house. At this same time, on the evening of the Passover, the first sheaf of barley in the harvest is to be harvested. A sheaf, of course, is a gathering together of all the different uh, stalks of that first uh, harvest of barley. It's to be gathered together, it's to be bound up, but not touched and left in the field. Leave it standing in the field. Go back to the Passover. Before Passover begins, each house is to be inspected for leaven all signs of leaven are to be removed. Only unleavened bread can be eaten from the evening of the Passover for the next seven days. Leaven speaks of sin. And God was instructing His nation, get rid of all sin from your house. Any bit of leaven in your bread must be gone. Sweep your house clean. Microscopically look for it. It can't be anywhere. 
Get rid of it. Then only unleavened bread can be eaten from the evening of the Passover for the next seven days. The bread is to be baked and striped, marking the significant oppression of slavery that they'd come out of, and then fired in a flaming oven. On the third day after the Passover meal, the sheaf that we left standing in the field now for three days can be brought back, has to be brought to the high priest and waved in front of the high priest. He will take it and wave it before God. In other words, before you can eat that food, before you can actually take from the harvest that's for you, I want you to dedicate it before the Lord, wave it before God. The priest has to do it. Once he's waved your sheaf of barley, you can have it back and then you can go and use it to make bread and other things for your family, but not until that's done on the third day. After the waving of the sheaf, then began what they call the counting of the Omer. 50 days would start from that moment. The 50 days is the lead up to finally what's called the Feast of Pentecost, which comes later. All of this is so significant. God is putting the calendar in place. God is putting worship in place. God is putting remembrance in place. God is also putting in place a sign that He's going to fulfil later with the coming of His Son. And it's perfect. It is synchronised to time in the cosmos. It's synchronised to His will and His perfect understanding of the sacrifice of the innocent. And so for the next 1,500 years now, Israel observes those feasts and Passover. 1,500 years, year in and year out. They observed that. Sometimes they were faithful. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes the prophets would say, return again to the Lord. Sometimes they would and sometimes they won't. The prophets would say, but there is one coming. There is a spotless lamb coming. His blood will cleanse all sin. They prophesy and say, there's a Messiah. He'll be born of a virgin. He will be a prince of peace. He'll be a warrior king. He'll be a descendant of David, but also the son of God. There was all this kind of, kind of uh, messages that the prophets would give. No one could quite bring it all together, but they knew it was coming. Something was coming. This Messiah was going to establish a new kingdom. It was going to rule with no end. It was going to become a kingdom that all people will be drawn into. Then 1,500 years later, from the beginning of those feasts and Passover, John the Baptist stands in the Jordan River and declares prophetically, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And three years from then, there's three more Passovers. And on the third Passover, on the 10th day of Nisan, the fourth day after the beginning, uh, just before the Passover meal, the Lamb of God rides on a donkey into Jerusalem with the palm leaves put down in front of Him. He is the King coming back to His kingdom. The people had a small grasp of what they were doing, but there was something in the triumphant entry of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but yet the Lamb of God that was actually coming on the 10th day, exactly at the time that the other lambs were being selected by the chief priests. He is tried, he is tested, and Pilate says he is blameless. Pilate looks at this Lamb of God and says, you are blameless and spotless. I find no sin in you. And he turns and he washes his hands 
symbolically saying this is a spotless lamb. And simultaneously, as the high priest is selecting the lamb for the Passover over in the temple, Jesus is selected over Barabbas to be the next crucified lamb. Which one will we have? Would you like Barabbas or would you like Jesus? Barabbas or Jesus? Crucify Jesus, they said. We select him. And so they did. They selected that spotless lamb. On the evening of the Passover feast, as the lambs were being killed for the Passover feast in the temple, simultaneously the ultimate lamb of God was being slain. On Golgotha Hill, the lamb of God was being killed for you and for me. Exactly at the time that the other lambs were being killed. His physical body was killed without breaking any of his bones. The Bible records that his body didn't remain on the cross, but like the Passover lamb, it was removed before morning, taken away. Not one bit of the lamb must remain, God says. The blood of the lamb of God now becomes the doorway through which we enter into his holy of holies. At that same moment, the, the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom as God said, that's it. The doorway is now complete. There's no veil that's needed. And like the unleavened loaf that's baked and striped, Jesus is our bread of life. He's beaten and striped for us. Isaiah 53 and verse five says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by his stripes, we were healed. He was without sin, therefore he had no leaven in him. And then this striped loaf goes into Hades, into the place of fire and takes the keys of hell and death from the devil. The loaf striped and now burnt in fire. And God is perfectly lining up every part of the fulfilment of his covenant. Every single detail. And as the firstborn amongst many brethren, Jesus now becomes the first fruits of God's great harvest. Remember the sheaf that was left there for three days. Well, Jesus, the sheaf, was left for three days. But then at the third day, He rose again. <laughs> and as He rose again, that sheaf, you remember when He was at the tomb, and Mary came and, and she thought he was the gardener. And then he, then he says, Mary. And she says, Rabboni. She turns to him and he, she goes to hold him. And he says, don't touch me for I have not yet been presented to my father. Remember? What does that mean? It's the sheaf. See, the first sheaf had not yet been waved before the Father. Jesus, the first fruits, the firstborn amongst many brethren, more like Him were coming. You and me, we're on our way. He's the first fruits, but He was waved. Before He was waved before the Father and God says, now let the harvest begin. You can eat now of the bread of life. Eat. Freedom. Deliverance for all. <laughs> what was God doing? God was showing us the lamb that was sacrificed at Passover. 
the removal of the leaven from the house, the baking of the striped loaves, the waving of the sheaf of barley, the counting of the omer for 50 days. All of it was a type and a, and a, a shadow of what He was trying to do in the whole resurrection life of Jesus. And if we just go back for a minute to the Exodus story, Remember what happened after Passover? There was 50 days they walked through the wilderness and they came through the valley of Elim and into the, uh, through the wilderness and to the Mount Sinai. And Moses brought the children of Israel back to the place where he'd had the burning bush experience with God because that was his deal. God said, go and get the people and bring them back here. That's, Moses, I think, thought that was it. <laughs> that's, that's called a... Um, that's, that's called a uh, what do you call it when someone, bait and switch, isn't it? <laughs> it's the bait and switch game. Moses brings the people back to Sinai. And there they are. As they, at the mountain, God says, prepare yourself, I'm going to meet with my people. And he comes down on the mountain with thunderings and lightning and fire and, and loud voice. And the mountain shakes. And Moses says to the people, come. Come and meet with God. And as they walk forward and the mountain's doing this, the people are afraid. And the Bible says even Moses was afraid. And so they backed off from the picture that they'd seen. It was too terrible. And Moses said, no, 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 no. God is just testing you. Come, come. It's, God is a wonderful God. Come and meet with Him. He's just testing your heart. The people said, no, no, no. No, Moses, you be our representative. You go and meet with God. And you tell us what He says, but it's too fearful for us. That was Pentecost. And then 15, some years later now, 1,500 years later and 50 days, Jesus has died, He's rose again, He's ascended to the Father and waiting in the upper room are 120 people, remember? And they're waiting and they're waiting and Pentecost comes and what happens in the room? Down comes fire, down comes a rushing wind, down comes this enormous noise as God again puts Himself on the earth and visits the earth again, exactly 50 days from the time of Passover and pours out His Spirit on all flesh. The ultimate purpose of God here has been that God would gather to Himself a people of kingdom and priests, kings and priests with Him, Ruling and reigning with Him. The people drew back in Moses' time. But there was 120 there when Peter, James and John were there. The great Pentecost revival. People think, say, I wonder if the disciples knew how long they'd have to be in the upper room waiting and praying. Oh, they knew. They knew something was happening at Pentecost. They knew that God was going to come and shake the mountain at Pentecost. They were waiting there until Pentecost happened and then God came and His Spirit flooded the earth. There is a new law. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvellous light. Folks, this morning there is a new law. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set us free from the law of sin and death. God is asking you the same question today. Will you be my kingdom of priests and kings? Will you? Have I proved to you enough my love? 
Have I proved to you to enough that I am a God of detail, that I see you, that I want you, that I am pursuing you more than you could ever imagine? Have I proved to you enough for everything I have created, for all that I have done in my redemptive story and all the things I have fulfilled in the details that I have come and proven myself to you? Can you see I can be trusted? Will you receive my chesed this morning, my faithfulness this morning? I believe as we're coming into Easter this weekend, we must remind our heart of what this Easter festival is all about. We are celebrating the living God's love for you and I. There is no greater display of the affection of God than what we see in Easter. The fulfilment of all that God has done to prove there's nothing you need to do for you to come closer to God. There's nothing you can do to qualify to be closer to Him. He already wants you close to Him. Could we pray? Father, this morning, we catch just a small glimpse of your great story. The blood covenants that you placed in this earth, the promises that you made to your people, the fulfilment that you made for those promises. God, you cut a covenant with us that we could never have fulfilled, but you knew that and you came and fulfilled it for us. How great your love is. How great your mercy is. How great your faithfulness is. Father, would you cause us this morning to begin to lay hold of that in a fresh and real way. In this Easter season, Father, would the revelation of your love so grip our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. I just wonder this morning if you'd stand with me as a people. I wonder this morning if all of us, and I know there'd be people here today and you'd say, I don't know that I have a living faith in Jesus Christ yet. I understand that. And you're so welcome here. Please be a part of this church. Lean in. Let us help you understand who God is. But would you allow us to do this this morning with you as a whole church? Could we close our eyes just from front to back, side to side? Just, And I want to just lead us through just a moment of quiet, reverent reflection. Just wonder if you'd still your mind just for a minute or two. Put out of your mind where you need to be, where you're going next, what's got to get ready before tomorrow or the next day. Just be present for one minute. My prayer this morning is a spirit of reverence and awe would settle on us just for a minute. I want you to bring to mind the faithfulness of God. Maybe it's something that I've just said or maybe in your own story, you know of the faithfulness of God. You've seen the faithfulness of God. You've experienced the faithfulness of God. Remember that right now. Bring that into your mind right now. 
the entire creation of the world has been God's pursuit of you. This whole thing. Why He did it, I have no idea. Ask Him when you see Him. But the earth and all of its fullness and Him coming to walk amongst us and all of His plans were all in His mind before He even said, let there be light. How awesome is the love of God for us? My question to you this morning is, how faithful are you to Him? How faithful are you to Him? What is the thing that's too hard for you to give over to Him this morning? Would you give it to Him? Is there a dispute with someone that you're hanging on to? Unforgiveness? There's your rights that you're arguing for right now that is so important. Your pride. Your anger. Or is there embarrassment or inconvenience that you know there's something God wants you to do, but you just feel restrained to be able to do it for some reason? Would you give it to Him this morning? Would you give it to Him? As we prepare our hearts for Easter, could I ask you to give to Him your faithfulness? Give Him your faithfulness. Renew it to Him again this morning. Sweep your house from leaven. Get rid of the sin. Commit again to Him. I'd love to pray a prayer. And I wonder if you would pray it with me in unison, in concert with me. As I say the words, if you would echo them back. And if you can find a way for this prayer to just express your desire for faithfulness to God. God knows that we are weak and we don't often follow through like we need to, but His grace is sufficient for every one of us. If you can and if you'd like to, would you pray this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, maker of heaven and earth, the God who set the universe in motion, who sees and numbers every hair on my head. Thank you for your love and faithfulness. Thank you for your sacrifice for me. Thank you that you never quit on me. I confess you as my Lord and Saviour. I give you my life afresh. Help me walk closer with you. Fill me afresh with your grace. Help me to live faithfully for you. Prepare my heart this Easter that I could worship and love you. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.